Hello, my name is John O'Connell, and welcome to AMX Fika Leadership Podcast. So over these podcasts, I'll be speaking to some inspirational and innovative data and analytic contributors from across industry and the health and care sectors. I'll be asking each of them to share with us some of the exciting work they have underway, which is helping to shape the health and care analytics space, as well as asking some of them their motivational insights into their career paths to date. So why FICA? FICA is a social phenomenon in Sweden, I thought I'd borrow. It's a legitimate reason to set aside some really quality time to catch up with friends, family and colleagues over a coffee and a cake. So joining me today is Andy Kinnear. Andy is a former NHS information officer with over 30 years experience with the NHS. Andy has a successful track record of delivering information technology, strategy and solutions, and is wholeheartedly committed to improving the health and care system. Andy left full-time work with the NHS in March 2020 to attempt the 1,250 miles walk from Land's End to John O'Groats. But unfortunately, his plans were delayed by COVID-19, which has seen him return to a number of advisory and delivery role positions inside and outside the NHS. Andy currently supports the NHS and private sector clients alongside his role as Partnership Director for Ethical Healthcare Consultant, who is committed to delivering health and care progress through a public value approach. And Andy is also an Executive Programme Advisor and Faculty Member to Chime International, which is the College of Health Information Management Executives. So welcome, Andy. I'm delighted to have you join our AMX Speaker podcast. Thanks, John. Great to be here. Brilliant. And so on with the most important questions we always say to our guests on Fika. Fika is always about coffee and a cake, Andy, uh, with friends. Uh, what's your preference to your coffee and what would be your favourite cake? Well, I'm a, I'm a tea man, straight down the line. In fact, I can't even be in the same room as a cup of coffee. <laughs> Fair enough. I dropped milk a long time ago, so I'm, I'm a black tea person. And okay, yeah. For the, last, for the last five years, I've tried to be as vegan as I can possibly be. So on the cake front, it will be whatever vegan offering the place I'm in has got has got available because there's not that much choice. <laughs> definitely not definitely not coffee cake then. No, definitely not coffee cake. <laughs> oh, brilliant! <laughs> Thanks for sharing that with us. Fantastic. So Andy, I mean, just just uh, we 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 worked together, and I, I know that you've got a really impressive uh, journey and experience in your career over the last thirty years, and it's been a real pleasure working with you. But you know, you've always made it made it look relatively easy, and I know it's it's having a successful track record is is a, is a bit of an art as well in delivering information technology solutions across the NHS. Um, what's been kind of would you be able to walk us through your, your for our listeners that your journey today and what you've seen as kind of your see sort of key takeaways and uh if you're asked if sort of give some advice back to your younger self what would that be really yeah, well, that. yeah no thanks john and i mean i i think it's really kind of you to say make it look easy that's certainly not how it's felt um and i think anybody who's you know carving out a career in in digital health and care will know that this is you know an incredibly complex landscape with uh, lots of moving parts, lots of challenges, and um, lots of sort of uh, you know issues to deal with on a on a on a constant basis. I think I think in terms of the sort of you know major lessons I would look back on. You know I came in um, in 1991. I was a statistician uh, back then. I came in as a numbers person um, in the first instance, and I guess my my primary focus in those early days was doing analytics to support the management and improvement of um, healthcare, and I think why that was useful for me later on as a CIO is because it 
it, it made my primary focus to be around the impact we could have on the delivery of of healthcare. And I don't think I've ever um, I've ever lost that. Really, I kind of feel like at, at, at the core is understanding the impact you are making for you know for frontline professionals or or the patients and and making that your primary person i think so that is a that is a sort of good um you know good focus i suppose for all of my career what what makes it even more uh, pertinent is is in my um 30 years i worked for um 17 different nhs organizations i've counted them up and i've counted the logos and um, I only resigned twice in all of that time. M most of those organisations were invented and abolished um, in, you know, during my, you know, mm. during my time with them. So, so anybody who's had a, you know, career in the NHS for any length of time will be very familiar with NHS reorganisations and the, these changes and the way, um, you know, the way it all takes place around you. And I, so I learned quite quickly that having any sense of sort of focus on the organization was probably misplaced because chances are the organization yeah. wasn't going to be around us as, as long as i was um and so i started to focus in on the things that were uh that were likely to stand the test of the time you know at, at the public we serve uh the professionals and the patients that they they care for and i think you know having a centering yourself around you know our public and providing public value through the money we spend um, making sure the impact of of what we do is is improving the experience of our clinical colleagues, and then ultimately um, improving healthcare for for patients when they when they most need it. It's quite a good way of staying sane. If you if you if you kind of make those elements your core driver each day, then lots of the the drama, the politics, the you know financial challenges, the organisational changes, and so on, they become kind of secondary. Um, because your focus is is on something you know a higher purpose and a much more um, you know worthy thing. And then just to your point about mm -hmm. you know, what would I say to my younger self? Um, I'd probably have a, a real conversation <laughs> with them about do they know what they're letting themselves in for? Because <laughs> um, I'm not going to one minute pretend this has been um, easy. I think it is a it is a really tough environment. But you know when I do my teaching with Chime now, I I remind. Uh, people how lucky they are i genuinely think we are some of the luckiest people um you know in employment frankly we we get to um effectively invent the future and not invent the future in in some sort of you know kind of um fly by night industry but but in a sector that is critically important to the human race critically important to the people of the uk and probably in an organization in the nhs that's you know the most revered you know in our nation and so the fact that we get to be the people who invent the future in 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 something like that is a real privilege actually and so you know when you are feeling a bit grumpy and a bit gloomy about all the challenges that are in front of you you know just just kind of have a think about what job you could be getting up to do each day and actually yeah. remember how lucky you are to get to work in in this space and that's been you know that's one of my sort of mantras i suppose and i have to say it to myself you know <laughs> quite often as well to be fair that's fantastic. Oh, thanks for that. That's for some really sage advice. And I love that one about, you know, centering yourself to keep yourself sanity, not around the organisation, but that sort of a public and professional piece. It's really, really powerful, isn't it? And, and just building, build, building up on that as well, that, you know, 
from a sort of a, an information and IT perspective and digital perspective, they always talk about, we've, we chat this before, about the inter interoperability challenge that most people kind of think it's a it's a technical challenge. And I think when we spoke, you mentioned, you know, uh, the only time you've seen it kind of as a technical problem is when humans us or we decide to block something. Um, but just thinking for our listeners on the call, would you be able to give us some sort of advice uh, from your experience of, about if they're facing similar interoperable challenges and how should they look at it? Yeah, so I think there's, there's sort of two key themes. I mean, I was involved, heavily involved in a, a shared record program in, in Bristol called um, Connecting Care for, for many years. And we were attempting to, and succeeding at in the end, attempting yeah. to bring together um, information on patients that was held in, in a multitude of electronic patient record systems, whether they were in you know, primary care in GP land or in community mental health. Um, yeah. ambulance, uh, you know, across the plethora of systems that exist in, in most of the hospitals, you know, very complex architecture. And if you were to draw it all out on a, you know, on a huge sheet of paper or, or on a great big, um, you know, a big, great big screen, um, you, you would cringe, really, because you would think, how have we managed to create this, you know, this sorry mess? Mm. And I think at times you, you can you can be in danger of believing that somehow somebody has made this landscape um, deliberately complicated and and deliberately difficult from a from a you know technology point of view to navigate and I think it's quite important to remind yourself that every one of those systems was installed by somebody who was trying to do a good thing to improve a situation and solve a problem in a particular space and so the fact that the pharmacy system doesn't talk to the pathology system and the pathology system isn't you know very good at talking to the gp system the, these are these are byproducts yeah. of of a, of, a, of a set of um you know a set of achievements that, that that the nhs should be really proud of because back in the day you know prescribing was done on paper or gp records were in you know cardboard wallets and things like that so that, so as we have migrated piece by piece on into a digital world we have then come up with new opportunities. And one of the new opportunities is interoperability and the ability to share those records. And so whilst you can get a little bit grumpy about the challenge that puts in front of you um, and start to sort of almost blame history, you know, why yeah. did they do this? I don't understand why they did that. Well, the reason they did that is because they weren't looking 10 years ahead and imagining the problem that you're mm -hmm. trying to solve. They were solving the problem they had in front of them at the time. And so I think what one, one, sort of secret, I suppose, is to try and get yourself into a, a mindset of, um, you know, of not, um, you know, being bitter about history or or, 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 yeah. or, or, or sort of frustrated about the circumstances you, you've been dealt, because chances are they've been created by people who are well-intentioned and trying to yeah. do your job previously. I think the second thing that you you see, and you see this a lot in the NHS, it depresses me constantly, actually, is, is uh, people whose who's thinking is organisationally led, so organisationally centric thinkers who will say, uh, what's in it for us? You know, why should we do this? What's in it for us? Yeah. And I've found one of the best ways to challenge that um, viewpoint is, is to throw back at them, well, well, never mind what's in it for you, what's in it for the patient? Mm -hmm. And if you can sort of continually bring the conversation back to how do we improve the experience for the patient, um, so that when they, you know, arrive in emergency department in crisis, the emergency department can see their GP records and see their current medications and provide them with, you know, better care. Or likewise, when they arrive back at the GP having been discharged from the hospital, mm -hmm. uh, the, the GP has got, you know, you know, the right information to be able to provide the, provide the care and actually make the focus the patient 
and in so doing, you 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 know you improve and you design, um, you know what you deliver. And I think for me, it's a quite an easy way of challenging the organisationally centric, you know, mindset is to sort of elevate the conversation, if you like, to a point where you're you're talking about the patient. I mean, one of the things I would say though, John, is the, the NHS, the way it's been constructed, certainly over you know over my career over the last thirty years, it, it's been a competitive environment. It's competition by design you know the purchaser provider split you know the multitude of organizations that have been created people have been taught to compete with each other and um and that makes therefore collaborative projects which is what interoperability projects inevitably are yeah. much more difficult to deliver and, and and we had our success by finding the people who were natural naturally yeah naturally collaborative and and following the energy, frankly, don't, don't you know? Don't push against doors that people are shutting in your face. You know, push against the doors that people are willing to open. And um, you know, frankly, if 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 it's not time for pathology, it's not time for pathology. If it's not time for pharmacy, don't do it. If it's go go to the places where you can find you know the the, 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 yeah. the energy, and you're you're more likely to be successful. That was certainly our experience. I love that. That's great. It's that gravity, that energy, isn't it? It's like-minded people and just connect, isn't it? Yeah. Well, it's it's these projects are too hard anyway. Mm. So if you make them even harder by trying to, you know, persuade some intransient that 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 it's you know they they need to budge, um, you're likely to just be wasting oxygen. You, you you're much better going after the the you know the the convincibles if you like, and and bringing them around. And what will happen actually is it it, it certainly it might take years. It did in our case. Yeah. Um, but but slowly but surely people come round, and what starts to happen is those that have that have made the leap early start to demonstrate success and benefits, and other people find it harder and harder to resist those. So through time, you start to see the position change, and they and they come round. But um, you know these projects are attritional. That you know they're really hard for the core team when they're driving them. Um, so you don't need to make life harder by you know by going after people who, who refuse to budge. No, agreed. No, thanks. For, that's brilliant advice. And and that leads me on to kind of the next question. I think about looking from an innovation uh, perspective and looking at sort of leadership. You know, what what are your thoughts, Andy, on kind of leading uh, what digital innovation for new clinical services now? And what do you think the new sort of future model could look like for the NHS? Because I know we we do things slightly different. Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's interesting actually. I think. Um, we're in a really strange place, I think, in healthcare. Actually, we're, we're probably the the only industry that's that's yet to fully make the leap to a kind of consumer-led model. If you look, if you look what's happened in retail, or you look what's happened in finance and banking, um, or if you look what's happened in the travel industry, or even in digital media, they, they've they've all moved to industries that are entirely consumer-led, uh, yeah. and and their digital experience is a consumer-led digital experience you think about you compare sort of online banking to the experience of of high street banking you know of 25 30 years ago it's 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 chalk and cheese it's completely different same in the travel industry you know compare going to a travel agent and sitting and looking through a brochure to you know to the experience we have today where we're printing out our own boarding passes and you know well not even printing them anymore we're just yeah. loading our phone and, and zapping through so the whole industry has shifted and i think in in healthcare We've yet to make that leap fully. We've, with some yeah. examples you can point to of, of innovation, but we've not, as an industry sector, moved all the way. And I think one of the questions in my mind is, in um, in travel and in retail, the uh, the old incumbent uh, 
you know, sort of the, the major incumbents that were part of that industry in the past have been swept away or, or at least have been usurped to some extent by incomers. And you look at the, you know, the rise of Amazon in the retail mm. space or, or the growth of Expedia or uh, Booking.com and so on in the, in the, you know, in the travel space. These were companies that didn't exist, you know, 25 years ago and have come in and have, you know, absolutely swept the board. And yet in other sectors like finance, you've maybe seen the incumbent, you know, the, the high street banks have gone on and become online banks and things like that. And I think what's interesting for me is what, what will happen in healthcare. The the incumbent, um, the NHS and the other, you know, the private providers that are currently provided versus, you know, the Babylon Health of this world and, and others who will come in and provide other services in different ways. And I think the, the best comparison I've seen of this recently was a chap that was talking about um, the way NASA and uh, SpaceX have been in parallel, or you know, for, for for you know for several years now. Where NASA, the old sort of incumbent um, owner of space exploration and you know the space industry, um, have been challenged by this this kind of new wave, cheaper, faster, more agile, repeatable uh, sort of you know um, you know satellite launch you know uh, vehicles from 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 SpaceX, and you know his conclusion that was. What will happen and what is happening is is NASA would retrench to their core service, their core service being research, being exploration, mm-hmm. being um, sort of understanding and helping, um, you know, study, uh, you know, the the, the 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 sort of, you know, outer space and so on. Um, and actually the, the kind of uh, retail business of putting satellites in space and supporting digital media and so on through that will, will, would become a private industry and SpaceX will be the leader in that space. And I, I wonder if we might start to see similar things happen within healthcare. I think, you know, may, maybe the role of the NHS as the incumbent uh, over time becomes, you know, that that sort of, you know, backstop or, or, important, or, or serves the, you know, the, the particularly, you know, expensive stuff that, um, that the rare diseases and things like that. But actually for lots of other stuff, it may well be that, um, that you know, the innovators and and disruptors come into the market and can do it in a different way, in a way that is more consumer friendly, um, and more sort of you know more like we're seeing in in other sectors. I think there's huge questions about how that looks commercially, what the funding models yeah. look like, all of that side of things. But but I can imagine a world where you know the NHS and the and the and the health service of the future is looks considerably different to the health service that we that we see today um and i think other industries if you just look at the journey they've gone through that's that's certainly what's happened in their cases yeah. um, and of course at the core of it is a is a is a digital transformation what's happening in in you know online banking is completely unrecognizable from the the high street experience and and i think we'll see the same in healthcare why why wouldn't we and we, 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 I suppose they had kind of the luxury of time in a sense to move and develop what that digital journey is, but we don't necessarily have that now, I don't think. I think expectations of the, of the patient and public have moved at such a rate, haven't they? Yeah, well, exactly that. I think that, that's right. I mean, I think that, 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 that they were on the, the, you know, the very front foot and, and doing yeah. this ahead of, ahead of the kind of expectation curve. In many, in many ways, what they've driven is they've driven an expectation yeah. now where people are sitting there saying, well, why can't I do this? Yeah. you know, health service. I think that the corollary of that, obviously, is that we've got the advantage of, uh, you know, as you as you come, you know, as you're a late joiner, um, yeah. you, haven't got a, you haven't got to relearn all of the, you know, the expertise. There's heaps and heaps of expertise out there about how you create, I don't know, a global standard that allows us all to put a credit card in a wall anywhere in the world and get some money out. That's, yeah. 
you know, that's a, an achievement that, that, that fintech have managed. Well, we've got similar technical standards to invent within healthcare. Why wouldn't we want to adopt and follow the models that, that they've proven you know, already work. So this and there's, enough, there's enough for both both the industry and the NHS all to work together, isn't there? In a sense, yeah. Precisely, yeah. And, and yeah. an opportunity to kind of learn from what other industry have done and just yeah. you know, steal it and copy it or whatever. Yeah. Where, where the best ways. Yeah. yeah. Precisely. Fantastic. And and when we also spoke and just trying to think about from a leadership perspective, when we spoke before, you, we mentioned about you know the importance of because obviously the the change in digital requires kind of different thinking and that what, we, what I suppose we classed as future open leadership. We mentioned about and the need to move away from kind of reductionist and prescriptive thinking of this the way things are always going to have to be and stay to a new leadership model and and looking forward because we're going to have to sort of manage your workforce as, as leaders, which is a knowledge economy workforce very different to the kind of workforce of today, which is beginning to emerge now what would you say to sort of future leaders you know why they should focus on professionalization of their workforce and why do you see it as being so important yeah so i think uh, there's, there's a couple of things i mean if i look at myself if i look at the seat i sat in for you know 20 odd years as a, as a chief information officer you know when, when i started in that role um essentially you were running an it department you were in yeah. the back office and your job was essentially to keep the tech running whatever the tech was um, that was there, and maybe successfully migrate to the next version of this or that, and slowly but surely nibble away at some, you know, nutty challenges that you knew a technology could um, improve. But by and large, it was about managing the department and delivering all of that. If I look at what, you know, th two or three iterations later of the role of a CIO, mm -hmm. you, you are now a you know, transformation director describing a future world in which the delivery of services is completely different to the delivery of services today, okay. underpinned by a set of technologies and, uh, you know, and systems and so on that, that, that allow that to happen. The, the role of a CIO has completely transformed over, you know, 25 years. And um, and, I, and I think that, ha that happens in all roles actually, yeah. in reality they, they they all change and develop through time i think what's odd in the health service for me at least is that some of our sector is made up of true professions people who have gone through a a, a a seriously heavyweight educational journey to become a professional in their space and then are expected through their career to maintain a level of expertise yeah. uh, indeed probably grow that level of expertise there is an obligation on the organisation that employs them to support them in that yeah. uh, in that development, to support them to stay on top of their professional status. And if you look, you know, if you look at doctors or nurses or accountants, you know, these these, these characters are all um, in that space and are respected for their expertise because we all know that they are a, a true professional who is on top of the game and is obligated to stay on top of the game, supported by the organisation that employs them. I think in the digital space, I think we suffer from from not having that um, that parity of esteem. You know, we're not we're not guarded with in the same breath yeah. as, uh, with the same level of of expertise, and neither is our organisation obligated to provide us with the with the same level of support and development. And so, what you've seen, I think, is is you know, there's you know, if I stay with the CIO story, the CIOs out there who I still think are just managing an IT department in reality, yeah. um, all the way through to others who are, you know, absolutely visionary and transformational in their, you know, in their outlook and and, and the programme that they're driving within their organisation. But that is happening in a, 
I mean, it's, it's, it's fluky almost. Yeah. It's random. So, you yeah. know, to what extent that this best, is... Best endeavours and hoping it all comes... Yeah, Yeah. well, exactly. And it's, and it's far too much down to chance. And I think, you know, the, the, the sort of work we've been doing so far in the professionalism space around the digital health and care profession, I think, has focused on, uh, and at least initially, on building the infrastructure that is required to allow a, pro a true profession to flourish. Yeah. So if you look in, you know, in medicine with the Royal Colleges and with the, you know, the BMA and all of these organisations that exist to drive, you know, a, a, a medical profession, we, we've been building the same within um, within digital health through the, you know, through the professional bodies and the creation of the Federation of Informatics Professionals and, the you know, the Faculty of Clinical Informatics. That's sort of created the infrastructure. Alongside that, we've been building the educational infrastructure. So if we are going to be educated as you know future digital leaders then we need the, the the sort of educators to enable that to happen and the uh, the launch of the nhs digital academy and um the arrival of chime um in the uk alongside the skills development networks that are successfully uh, rolling out from the from the northwest outwards are all examples of where that educational infrastructure is you know is taking shape um for me the kind of final two pieces of the jigsaw really are are firstly the adoption of all of it so yeah. as a profession, the, the 60,000 people that work in digital healthcare, uh, I think need to start, you know, demanding uh, to be treated as true professionals and, and to be able to be credible in that demand. They've got to start behaving like true professionals, which means getting the badges, getting themselves yeah. educated, maintaining their education uh, as professionals and expecting their organisations to, you know, to support them in that journey with with time and, you know, finance and, and emotion, frankly. Um, and so that's the, the the sort of third key element. And then the fourth element, I think in time, will be, to some extent, a, a kind of mandatory license to practice. I mean, the reality yeah. is you can't be a finance director without being a qualified accountant. You can't be a medical director without being a qualified, you know, doctor or nurse. You can't be a chief nursing officer without being a, you know, a qualified and certified nurse. Um, yeah. And yet you can be a CIO without any of those, you know, without any equivalent um sort of professional status and i just think that's crazy and you look you look at the threat that for example cybersecurity, you know poses to to us to our space why on earth would we allow the people to be in charge of it not to be you know appropriately qualified in that and actually want to support them in that journey yeah so you know i'm i'm, I'm sort of you know i'm fairly sort of i get quite edgy about this because i kind of think that the only way uh, digital healthcare, you know, in the end, will will succeed is, is if it's given the same, you know, parity as the other professions alongside, you know, whom we work, you know, day to day. And I think we're on that journey. We've we've made some good strides, but I think it, a lot of it now boils down to the message. You know, I, I say on stage often that we will get the profession we deserve, yeah. and that's a bit of a double-edged sword because, you know, frankly, if people don't start mobilising, then we won't we won't get the profession, and that'll be what yeah. we deserve. Um, Whereas the yeah. opposite is if we do mobilise and we do get it, chances fantastic. are we, 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 we will, you know. Yeah, no, that's fantastic sort of vision, I think, of the future that we need to shape it ourselves, as you said earlier, get in there, shape it. And a big call out for, was it FedIP and the Chime? There's some great stuff on. And even from a CPD perspective, they got, I think, a release of a hub recently that allows you to track your CPD. And that's never happened before, is it? That's no. a big, big step, isn't it? Yeah. That's what I'm talking about. All the, all the infrastructure, there's no excuses all anymore. There. I think yeah, for a while you could say, I don't know what to do, I don't know where to start, I don't know what yeah. I should do like that. Well, sorry, that 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 excuse has gone away. You know, and I think the answers are out there and it's it's kind of on you to 
um, you know, to take that um, to take that sort of next step. I think interestingly as well, I, for me, that the, the the next generations are really thirsty for this stuff. It's quite interesting to, yeah. to watch actually. I think the you know the kids that are coming behind us are are hungry for this uh, you know for this stuff because they recognise the the opportunity it gives them to to learn new skills and so on. But it also gives them the opportunity to stand out from the crowd a little bit. Yeah. And so certainly we we see with 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 Chime a lot of you know slightly you know younger generations coming through are super keen to be on this journey early um, because they recognise the value it gives to them in their on their career path. Fantastic. That's yeah, really good to hear. And yeah, hope that wave continues to grow and push forward. Yeah. Well, exactly, exactly. And I mean, actually, you know what it's like once you get into your fifties. You do start to. Uh, it's harder to surf. Put it that way. Well, exactly, exactly <laughs> that. And 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 also, you just have one eye on your legacy. And I think you know yeah. one of the nicest things we could all do is is make the journey for those coming behind us a little bit easier and a little bit better. And I couldn't agree more. That's fantastic. Andy, listen, it's been absolutely fantastic sharing your sage advice. I think just just to recap on there, I, I love the thing about, you know, don't everybody on the call, you know, who's listening and, and sort of, uh, to the podcast is don't get hung up on organisation, you know, ground yourself and focusing on what you're doing for the public, what you're doing for the professionals. It gets you through the day and keeps you sane as well, which I really love. Uh, and then that, that piece about, you know, um, you know, advice to your younger self and anybody joining the NHS and health and social care is that, you know, the area and the space that we're talking about, you know, getting to invent the future is a, is a, is a real privilege. So, you know, and it's it, having that privilege comes responsibility. So get yourself registered and make yourself professional. They go hand in hand together. And then the other one as well about, you know, if anybody's doing anything around interoperability, I like the idea about don't blame history. You know, people have all best intentions, uh, follow the flow and follow the en energy. And as you mentioned, tap into those convincibles. I think it's really, really powerful. And then you, you also mentioned as well, isn't it, about... Um, you know, we've got to look towards other industries, retail and travel. You know, they've made the change. We've got a bit of catching up to do. So, so look to those as well. And I think you're finally finishing off about the professionalization. I think, you know, what a powerful message and just to call out to everybody on the call here to sort of, you know, start looking in those sites. We'll put those links in in, in the chat, chat as well. Okay. For dive into. Yeah. No, that's great. That's great. Great. And just finally, your important busy life that you have there, Andy, as well, outside of kind of the work you're doing with Chime, which is really great. I really sort of admire all that. What do you do to relax and de-stress? Uh, well, I don't know if I de-stress. I don't know if I totally de-stress. Yeah. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a huge Crew Alexandra supporter. Yeah. Um, so I've spent the last few months trying to get over our dreadful relegation, probably the worst season we've had since 1958 last year. So it's been, um, it's been a tough <laughs> couple of months on a crew front. But obviously, new season, new hope, you yeah. know, and all of that. So um, yeah, we keep we keep on believing. And then otherwise, I'm 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 very sort of boring. Actually, I like to get my boots on and go walking and uh, spend a lot of time with the family. Literally, just back from my son's graduation today, actually. So um, you know, it's been pretty cool to see him do so well. So yeah, that that kind of stuff, you know. And um, yeah. always happy to go down the pub with somebody if they want to want to buy me a pint and have a chat. <laughs> there you go. There's a shout out. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> No, thank you, Andy. And just to say to all our listeners, everyone wants to sort of follow you. It's, it's your, your Twitter is Andy underscore Kinnear. Is that right? Twitter, that's right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Brilliant. Well, no, do keep in touch. And uh, thank you very much for sharing your, your advice and uh, wisdom. Cheers. Well, my pleasure. And thanks for the invitation to come along and talk to you. So I'd like to thank our speaker for joining us today and for everybody else tuning in to this podcast. Uh, look forward to seeing you in the future. <laughs>